Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where normal is shifting every day. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and during this time of coronavirus uncertainty, sheltering at home, and social isolation, I'm bringing you a special series of helpful insights and practices from body-focused practitioners in order to keep you healthy, protected, and calm beyond face masks and hand sanitizer. My guest today is Suzanne Wright Crane, visual artist and a teacher of the fluid embodied practice of continuum. Her work is called The Cosmic Body, and her art process offers doorways of visual and energetic interactions with the imaginal realms for the individual and the collective. And we're going to be talking today about accessing the unseen world as a way to aid us in self-knowing, self-soothing, and being able to navigate in the uncertainty that's around us. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate the opportunity. I really uh, am so interested and curious to talk to you. Uh, your process is fascinating to me. Um, before we start, though, or as we're beginning, um, where are you speaking to us from? I'm curious where everyone is uh, is sheltering at this moment. I am on our farm, Otter Bend, in central Kentucky. It's actually Woodford County. It's uh, down near the Kentucky River, surrounded by creeks and woodlands and riparian zones. And so that natural world must be feeding you tremendously at this time. Yeah, I just moved here a couple months ago with my beloved and um, spending all of my time outside, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So wonderful, wonderful. So, um, Many people, now that we've gotten over the initial shock of all that we've had to do in order to protect one another and ourselves from the coronavirus, many people are viewing this as a time of collective pause, as a time to re-examine their lives and perhaps find deeper meaning, put some things down, um, which means using the best of our imaginations. So I personally want to know, and I want our listeners to know more about your process with the Imaginal Realms. Um, I have a background in outdoor learning and play. So I cultivate an attitude of playfulness with everything, I, everyone, all the beings that I interact with. And I do it so well that I forget that that's what I'm doing and I really had to stop and ask myself you know why does Sharon want to talk to me and what do I have to contribute (laughs) so I spent the last couple of days kind of being the observer of myself and I'm really surprised by how much of my life is based in um, play looking for play cues and responding to cues from the unseen world, from the elementals, from all of nature, the trees, the, the wind, the, you know, the, the clouds, the plants. I just, I'm constantly cultivating relationship, not as object, but as a full participant in my life here. It's, uh, I'm surprised by it, actually. So can you give an example of how you're playing with or participating with the wind or the clouds? 
there were there was a play theorist, two play theorists named Gordon Sturrock and Perry Ells who came up with this concept of the moving frame a long time ago in in play theory play theory uh, circles and it's like everywhere every situation that I'm in there's certain characters right mm-hmm. like if I walk outside right now and like on the way upstairs there was a tulip and the tulip opens up in the morning and closes up at night and I'm noticing how I'm just appreciating the tulip and instead of kind of bouncing off um, and just looking at the tulip like an object when I pass the tulip it lands in me there's reciprocity I I feel like I'm in relationship with that tulip, and my life is a little bit sweeter just mm-hmm. on the way upstairs just now. So it's little things, but it's it's constantly cultivating um, a softness in my being that doesn't objectify the natural world or, or anything, you know. It could be dog poop. <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Rule. I'm not going to be out of relationship with anything. It just is. Mm-hmm. Whatever is, I'm. I'm there. I'm needing it. I'm. I'm curious about it. Mm-hmm. So. You, <laughs> so you're. I encounter a lot of dog poop. I have two dogs, so I am in constant relationship with dog poop. <laughs> but right. But not to to objectify, but to. Um, you say soften, like open yourself. And how do you do that? How do you create that softness that you meet uh, the tulip or you meet the cloud? How, what happens within your own body? I'm aware that my edges are not uh, so sharply defined. Like, um, and a lot of this came from noticing how rigid I was becoming or hard I was becoming from all the fear that's going on. Mm -hmm. And then I catch myself, I catch myself, I'm, I'm planting something like I'm putting in some, a rosemary and I'm really not aware or paying any attention at all to the plant itself and I'm like maybe hurting it a little bit I'm like oh and then I have to back out and get back into that relationship so sometimes on a bad day I'm noticing it as it's happening like I'm really not present where am I and then I can come back into the resonance it's a definite feeling of being um connected to everything and just for a moment issuing an invitation saying hello and waiting in the pause to see in the emergent unexpected what might be coming back and you know 99% of the time it's nothing but I think I'm doing it all the time so I get more feedback than if I were only doing it, say, as a five-minute-a-day practice or something. Right, which speaks to the value of doing any practice for a long time or deeply or daily, right? The more you, the more you practice, the more you, you um, 
create these invitations, the more likely it is that you will receive something in return or that you'll be in a receptive state to, re to receive something in return. Yeah, I remember one time I was having a lot of problems. I had to have, uh, I had a hiatal hernia and I had to have surgery because I tried everything under the sun to fix it. And one day I came in, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I came from a late yoga class. And as I pulled in my driveway, I saw a little tiny um, possum under my garden. And it was kind of scurrying out of my headlights. And when I parked my car and got out, I walked over to that little raised bed garden and I said, Hey, possum, I'm Lily Otter, which is my nickname for myself. And I'm like, eat anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I forget about it. You know, I go in, I go about my life. About three days later, I had the most, like, powerful, I don't even know what it was. I would say it was a dream, but... I had this experience of this full-grown possum sitting on my chest and just like reached down into my body with its, all of its rows of teeth and grabbed out this gnarly tumor with all of the tendrils and everything and swallowed it and was gone. And I like sat up straight in bed and went, oh my God, that little tiny possum just like prevented me from having like esophageal cancer or something. <laughs> it was just like a moment of working in the dream time and feeling like what could have happened. I, I, I don't even know. I don't have words for it. But it's little things like that of taking a moment to really be compassionate and loving to the world around you. And you never know what's going to happen. You know, I didn't do it for that reason. It's just now possum, I, I have a like a little, um, I'm quilting the little possum. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like becoming a little, a little shrine. And, you know, I think they're undervalued in general. But anyway, just you never know. Right. So I'd like trying I'd, to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd like to go into that idea even more about you never know. Right. I mean, right now, uh, at this time, it's very evident that we don't know. We, we never know. We really never know. But right now, we're, we're uh, seeing all around us that even those, um, those constructs that we hold about knowing are really um, not known. So I hear what you're saying is that by becoming into more of a reciprocal relationship, with the natural world, with individuals in the natural world, be they elemental or be they uh, certain creatures or, or plants, that, that you can develop a relationship where something will come back to you. Yeah, I, it's just, I think it's just the way I'm wired that I work this way. Yeah. I grew up isolated, so all my friends were like salamanders and crawdads and ladybugs and, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you bring them into your art and into your artistic process. So can you talk a bit about your artistic process? Well, I work with 
water from a living source, and that means I collect water. Sometimes students and friends send me water from all these places from around the world, and I'll use that. But I start with water from a living source, and I really wait. It's kind of a divine timing thing. Like It's like lightning striking. When it's time to a piece needs to come through, I, I get the message, and I stop whatever I'm doing, and I, I work that direction. Usually it starts with getting a, a water from the creek or, like I said, wherever, and then I make a, a dye bath typically with something that I've found on my land, like black walnut hulls, you know, time of year dependent. And um, I kind of divine what needs to come through, and I'll often take my fabric that I'm starting with down to the creek, and I play with it for a while, folding it, playing with it in the wind, letting it kind of run through the rapids against the rocks, and eventually I get around to um, placing it in the dye bath. <laughs> it's like a, it's more like a performance piece or something that I do with uh, being witnessed by nature. It, it sounds mm. kind of goofy to talk about, but um, that's just all. one of the... It starts with that, and then there's about 40 or 50 other processes that maybe go into making a, a final piece, like a, an art quilt, or maybe it's a painting. Uh, sometimes I'll take gessoed canvas and put it in a spring or the creek and then work right on the surface of the, the piece, like beside the creek on a on a on a um, a tarp or with acrylics you know I'm, I'm getting a little bit away from that now that I'm living on a farm and really wanting to use what's locally available to me but I mean that's a little bit of it and what ends up being created are these uh, magnificent magnificent um, textiles that both feel very abstract and um, very specific at the same time, which reflect the movement of water. Yeah, very often. I'm often singing and chanting as I'm, I'm really co-creating it with the living water, so it's a little hard to take credit for it, the whole thing. You know, it's a collaboration. Right, and it sounds like everything you do is in collaboration. It sounds like the way that you walk in the world or that you walk in, certainly in the natural world, is a collaboration. You perceive it as a collaboration. Yeah, if it's not, it means I'm not having any fun. <laughs> you know, I'm doing it like a little duty, mm -hmm. as Susan Harper would say, you know. Um, yeah, it's just so much more fun to... To be connected and resonant and I notice so much more when I'm just wide open to whatever's happening 
it's so interesting, you know, your perspective on things. Earlier today, I thought I had found what were a nest of ground hornets. And I was really getting myself a little bit worked up about it because I'm building this food forest for, uh, you know, this permaculture thing I'm doing. And I was, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, no. What if I, I don't, I don't want to kill them. They're right by the back door. What am I going to do? So I just started talking to these these bees, and they let me take their picture. So I went <laughs> to this bee class about a month ago, and I sent it to the state uh, apiarist. A- apiarist? A- mm-hmm. Apiarist, whatever. Bee lady. Yeah. So I sent it to bee lady, and I'm like, is this, what do I do? And she's like, they're minor bees. They're not ground hornets. They're minor bees. It just totally shifted my like perspective on having them in my back door. So I just started kind of talking to them. And what's it like to only live for four weeks? You know, I can't imagine. You must be. That's why you're so happy out here. You know, you're you're. They're just like having the best time. They're doing this little bee dance and swarming all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'm just going to leave you to your business. But, you know, it just shifted. You don't want to walk around the world in fear, and at the same time, you don't want to trounce on somebody else's, you know, turf. Right, so would it's you say... It's a constant th- dance. Was it the information that shifted your perspective, or were you really will? Would you have been willing to uh, be in a dance with the hornets had they been hornets? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was. I was. I was just like everybody's telling me. You know, you need to pour boiling water on them. I'm like, I'm not going to pour boiling water on them, even if they are hornets. So. What's your other option? You know, <laughs> leave them alone for one thing. I thought, well, I could put up a little barrier around them to keep my dogs out of them and just let them have their space. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I was mistaking their excitement at being alive with, you know, aggression. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You have to you have to fly for a few minutes in somebody else's wings. You know you can't just assume you know what's happening. It's so I true. could have worked up. I could have built a whole story around it. You know I could have built a whole story around the ground hornets and blah blah blah. So yeah, yeah. Just like you know, uh, some of what we're experiencing now is. Um, you know, during this time of, of, of this virus and not knowing who will uh, fall sick and how sick they will be and perhaps die. And will it be me or will it be you or will it not? And there's a lot of story that we're creating that is being fed by the media or that's being fed by my own past experiences or my own uh, underlying fears. And so how are you yourself working with staying out of story around this particular worldwide event or helping others stay out of story using these very things that you're talking about, about being about deep listening and reciprocal relationship? Well, one of the things I'm doing is I, I'm not, I'm not telling myself that I'm helpless. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, um, the imaginal realm is incredibly powerful. Uh, Cell biologist Bruce Lipton 
discovered, I don't know, a decade or two ago, that a few of our cell receptors have the ability to respond to imaginal stimulus. So what that means in practicality is if you can imagine that you're immune to something. What I've been doing, you know how they were always showing pictures of the coronavirus and it has those little things that stick out on them? Mm -hmm. Yes, the crowns. I imagine that if I am in contact with any of those, that those little things just shrivel up and they can't, they can't connect to anything inside of me because those little things coming off of them are just like, you know how a, an orchid sometimes will, the bud will not fully flower. It just kind of shrivels up and dies, mm -hmm. especially at, if you're at like Trader Joe's or somewhere and you're feeling sorry for the plant. <laughs> I just do the same thing. If I, if I start thinking about the coronavirus, I imagine that those little, uh, I don't know, I wish I knew what they were called, but they're, they shrivel up and they fall off mm -hmm. before they can connect to anything inside of me. And then the other thing I do is I'm just aware in the moment. If I have a fear moment, you know, like the UPS man came and dropped something off, whatever, and I'm breathing the same air. Oh, my God. I um, I have these little filters that I pretend are up inside of my nasal passages, and they're like ultraviolet light, and that kills it, you know. So when I'm breathing, I'm filtering out through these ultraviolet light filters in my body um, anything that could hurt me. And, you know, I have like 10 of these that I do randomly whenever they occur to me. And I do it for other people, too. How do you, you know, do it when for you other hold people? Some, How do you do it well, for Well, when you people? hold some, well, like when you hold someone in the light, I just imagine that that is whatever they're needing at the time that I'm able to, like, reach out with my third hand and hold their back. Or I'll um, get the idea to surround them in a nest of light or a protective bubble or, you know, a fan blows the virus away from them. It can be anything, you know. Um. <laughs> and how do you under... Uh, no, I love this. I love this. How? And so how do you understand that process to be working? Or do you not try to understand it and you just use it? I've had so many experiences. I thought everybody worked this way. Mm -hmm. I've had so many experiences throughout my life where I've completely shifted my physiology from one minute to the next. Like one time I came home, I was sick. I came home from California and I've got the flu. And I'm like, oh my God. So I decide I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to, I, I get like a block from my house and I just couldn't believe it. I'm getting the sore throat. I have body aches, you know, the whole nine yards. And I'm just so mad at myself. And about a block from my house, I decide, okay, I'm going to be in dialogue with this flu. That's, that's fine. So I say, okay, flu, where are you from? And the flu says, it's like this little thought cartoon bubble in my head. I'm from here. I'm like, what? So I just like stopped dead in my tracks. You're from here, meaning you're from, I gave it to myself. And the flu's like, yep. 
because I'm trying to think who did I sit by on the airplane or who caught right. you know, this is like 10 years ago. It wasn't Corona. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I'm like, oh, okay, well, since you came from me, would you be willing to go back where you came from? And in that moment, I have this little, um, I call her Grimpiothesis octopus. She's like a little octopus that is like Florence Nightingale. She helps me with everything, like in my body. Mm-hmm. And she pops in. And with her, she's wearing um, a welder's mask and a welder's apron, and she's carrying a blowtorch. And beside her is this big metal box, and it's all welded together shut, except for this one tiny hole on the top. And the flu taking the cue flies right into the box and then Grimpiothesis welds it shut. <laughs> By the time I got home and I only walked like two blocks and came back, I was completely well. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. And, and you- it, we don't have to, I mean, you can understand it scientifically. The body has the ability to respond to imaginal stimuli. Okay. What does that mean in practicality? That's what it looks like in my world. Um, right, because, you know, the body responds to uh, imaginal stimuli all the time in terms of our fears and the stories that we tell us and how we get worked up about things where they're not really happening in this moment, but it is an imagined outcome, right? And our body, our body reacts to imagined fears, heart races, you know, mouth gets dry, breath accelerates, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, you know, we can get ourselves worked up with a story. And so why not be able to heal ourselves or transform or soothe ourselves through a different story or a different perception using the imagination? Yeah, yeah you know, you're hitting on you know how Emily always said, Emily Conrad always said, okay, here's the beef. Here's the rub. Here, here's the rub, Suzanne, with your using the imagination thing. You can just as easily imagine yourself ill as well. Mm-hmm. And there's no getting around it. Well, I found a workaround. I call it the double-edged sword paradox. It's um, you, you, you know how we're always checking boxes and we agree to the terms and conditions on apps and our phone and everything under the sun has a box you check, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. We just write a statement that goes something like, I agree to use anything I can imagine in the natural world, past, present, future, invention, plant, animal, fill in the blank, for the benefit of myself and all beings. I agree. And you check the box. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, that's very clunky. And I'm like, well, you only have to do it once. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a, um, it's a firm contract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, and you can do an upgrade to it occasionally if you feel like you, you're slipping, you know, uh-huh. but I just really feel very strongly in taking, um, complete, um, like, responsibility for your health and using your imagination to help yourself, you know, that to me is just a no-brainer. We all need to be better at 
and and fiercely imagining the world we want to create. Mm. People, that's the opportunity right now. This is it. Get off the the rat race. Really, I mean, it's time to really look at our lives and look at what is actually satisfying. And if it's not satisfying, then why are we doing it? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times what we are suffering from in our suffering is we're suffering from a lack of imagination. We're suffering because we can't envision or won't envision what it is we truly want, what it is that makes our hearts sing, what it is that would um, have a nutritive reciprocal relationships between us and other people and us and the, and the natural world. Amen to that. Yeah. So how is there, is there some sort of uh, exercise, some sort of suggestion that you might make for how people can begin to start to access this, to begin to start to uh, dare to open their imagination in, um, in positive and exciting ways? You know, I just would go out and meet whatever it is and mirror it. You know, do some mirroring. That's really fun. With the, with the bee on the way up here, past before the tulip, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, as I'm walking by the bee, I mean, I don't know why I do this, but I see the bee, they're mainly on the ground and flying low to the ground, and they're like little wings, or, and I'm like using my elbows like little wings, and you know, mm-hmm. it's just a moment of playful resonance where for that second, I am not taking myself so seriously that I can't play with a bee. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm laying, I, I take a, a mat outside and do some of my diving, some of my movement practice in the garden, in the orchard. The other day, you know, I'm like under this pear tree, it's blooming like magnificently. And I'm I'm just out there in awe of it, you know, tracking petals, feeling like for a moment, my heart is, are those petals in the wind. And I just think it's good for us to forget, you know, our 3D world for a while and really drop into the essence of things and have a taste of what that life is like. You know, it's very expansive and I think it helps humanity. It helps us to remember that we're not, we may think we're at the top of the food chain, but I don't think we are. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're finding out pretty quickly that, you know, without the pollinators and without the the earthworms and the the bacteria in the soil and the uh, you know our tree friends we're we're all in this together we are so in this together and so- it's fun you know it's wonderful to be um i can walk around and i can get all grumped out and I don't, I don't, I mean, 
I don't know. I turned 60 this year. I think I, I don't want to waste any more of my time self-obsessing. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to yeah. yeah. learn about other people, and maybe those people are trees and plants and all of the, the realm, the energetic realm behind um, the physical world. You know, David Spangler sees it. You know, it's the Earth's second ecology, the 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 imaginal, the unseen realm, the inner, the realm of energy. And I don't know. Maybe I'm really seeing the wisdom in bringing more of my awareness into that into that place. Well, it's so available, and you can make yourself. Uh, so available to it and it um, as I as I receive it from you it makes your heart light you you are lighthearted when you're speaking of this when you are when you are describing the process of how to be with a bee or how to be with Mm -hmm. the dance of the petals or how to be with the grass or the earthworms or to be with the ways in which they appear to you um, in dream time or in waking dream time, that it mm-hmm. it creates a lightheartedness that then gets shared back into the world or gets shared back with anyone that you encounter. That's what I'm feeling from you. Well, we have spent our life taking magic out of the world. And if you're around any kind of little child in a natural state of play, it is a magical place. And there are cues coming from everywhere all the time. And we learn to um, ignore those cues. That's part of growing up and becoming an adult. Well, guess what? Those cues are important. They keep us sane and happy and and guided. You have to and go guided. back and, and guided. Guide. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's divine guidance. Mm-hmm. Every single person is here for a reason, and there, the this realm is constantly trying to communicate with us, and we have learned to ignore it because we're not really perceiving. We think we're perceiving the world, but what we're perceiving is our edited version of it. And looking for play cues, just the ha- getting into a habit of wherever you are, looking for cues from your environment changes your relationship to that, to that editing that you've been doing. And it takes you, I think it takes you back into a more pure state. So a big part of my practice is noticing what's tickling me and in this time of pause in this time of rest where we're being asked to stay home and do less um, it's the perfect time to look for cues and listen absolutely Well, Suzanne, this has been a most magical conversation. I appreciate (laughs) it so much. 
Um, can you please tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can be in touch with you, um, and learn more about your work and work with you? Um, Thecosmicbody.com. That's my... Wonderful, wonderful. And we also, um, you know, we are both teachers of the fluid movement work of continuum. And so I would also like to add that continuumteachers.com is another resource for uh, finding more about you. Absolutely. A wonderful one. Thank you. Yes. So thank you. It's been absolutely magical. And I'm going to go now and I'm not uh, on a farm, but I'm uh, going to go take a, a walk and, and uh, talk to some trees. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Thanks, Sharon. Thank you. This has been Passing for Normal, Conversations About Change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.